Good morning, everybody. Now, I know you're all thinking how freezing cold it is. I actually saw a short video yesterday of people playing AFL in a suburb of Melbourne in snow in their little shorts, so um, you can be thankful for the weather you've got. It's better than a lot of the southern states are getting at this point in time. Um, over a period of three years, we've, going, we've been working our way through the Book of Acts in three sections, not constantly over three years. I'm not quite that slow. Um, so this is actually our second last one for 2019. Um, we'll pick up again uh, from where we left off in 2020. Um, so this is our normal habit. We preach our way through books of the Bible, and this is where we're up to this morning. Uh, but we're going to open up in prayer as we seek God's leading and for God's word to do its work in our lives. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are the almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, the greatest authority in all heaven and all earth. Lord, to think that you would think of us and even act favorably towards us in sending your son to die on our behalf. Lord, it's a privilege to be called one of your children, adopted as your sons, not because we've achieved a standard, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf, received in faith. And Lord, as we hear what you have to say to us this morning through your word, we pray that we might hear it as the very word of God and might respond to you and your word with the honour and awe to which you are worthy of. Help me by your spirit to speak clearly. Keep me from saying anything speculative or in error. And Lord, help us to take, appreciate and apply the things that you lay out before us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if I was to give you some people's famous last words, you could probably tell me who they belong to. If I started simple, something like, such is life... Answers, come on, don't need to phone a friend on that one. Ned Kelly. What if I went that little bit more trickier? People know the figure. They may not know this was the person's last ever quote before they passed away. And an interesting one, I'm bored with it all. I'm looking at Samuel because I don't know why I thought Samuel might know this one. Winston Churchill, that was his last words. Often people's last words, they can either be really profound or sometimes they can be quite funny. There was a serial killer in the United States who was about to get the electric chair and his last name was French. And his last dying words is, he called out to the newspapers, I want the headline to be French fries. Now, sometimes the more profound words, last words that people speak aren't so much necessarily the last ones of their life, but maybe the last words they know that they're going to speak either to an individual or to a group. A politician who has their, their final swan, swan song, their final speech, will think long and hard, what message do I want to communicate? What is it that I want to be remembered for and inspire people towards? Or a pastor of a church preaching their, their last ever sermon might think through what is most important that I leave with them in order that they might continue to go forward in the right direction. Because what we look at in this passage, this is Paul's 
final instructions to the elders of the church in Ephesus. And it gives us an insight into what Paul thought was most important for them to know, for them to stand upon and to move forward. Now, some of you might think, oh, I've had a pretty tough weekend. It's a little bit cold. The heaters are on. This is a message of Paul speaking to the elders. I'm not an elder. Here's my chance for a little kip. Now, I'm going to persuade you against the idea of ever switching off when you're reading through the Bibles just because something might be directed towards elders or leaders for two reasons. One, that the things which God desires in the lives of the elders or in leaders are a reflection of things that are most precious to God. If he wants his leaders to have those, that's because these are the things he wants his church to have. And secondly, whether you're specifically an elder or a potential elder or not, all of us are in a position just by nature of being Christians that we are leaders. If a leader is somebody who takes someone from somewhere to somewhere, as Christians we should be leading people to Christ and to maturity in Christ. So in that sense there's something of great importance for all of us. I've broken down our passage this morning into leading by example, by instruction, and by prayer. Starting with leading by example in the first 11 verses and the final three verses. As you think about someone's last words to someone, you might think more in terms of the instructions. This is what you need to do. But Paul actually spends a lot of time reminding them about things that he personally has done. Now, I don't think this is arrogance on Paul's behalf of saying, look how great I am. But rather, what he's trying to say is, you yourselves know my life, that the very things that I'm calling and instructing you to do with my words are the very things that I live by. After all, how you live is a really significant part of your leadership. Let me illustrate for a moment. If I was to give you a really emotive, really compelling lecture now on why you should become vegan and you were so moved by it, you decided the moment you left here, I'm going to be a vegan for all the days of my life. It's so important to Steve. You would very quickly see as we share together in pizza and all sorts of things afterwards that hang on, maybe Steve doesn't value what he just said very much at all. If you declare something as important, then that should be reflected in your life. Every decision we make every single day is a reflection of what's important to me. Everybody around you can tell what is genuinely important to you simply by listening to your words and watching how you live. In the passage we're looking at this morning, Paul actually spends 14 verses talking about his own personal life, his own personal example, and only five verses providing them with instruction. I think it's a helpful reminder of the close connection that leadership is not just about saying or commanding or directing certain things, but it's about how you live alongside the importance of what you teach. Remember Paul's words to Timothy, he says, 
watch your life and doctrine closely. He didn't say, just make sure you get your doctrine right. He says, watch your life, watch how you live and your doctrine. These two things need to coexist together and they need to make sense with one another. If those two things are out of balance, any leading you'll do will simply be leading astray. And sometimes the church can fall into the pitfall of putting all of their eggs in one basket, thinking, let's just all centre on when we get leaders, just make sure they got their doctrine right. But if their doctrine is right and the life doesn't match up with the doctrine, then it kind of disqualifies the teaching that, that comes out. Or sometimes they go to the complete opposite end and they think, here is someone who's such a lovely people person, they're so influential... The doctrine's not real good. And the danger there is that you have someone who's really good at influencing people in a bad direction. So what particularly does Paul highlight in his own life by example? I think we could probably put him under two headings. One, humbly serving the Lord. And two, declaring God's word to everybody. And he doesn't say just take my word for it he says you yourselves know the things he's talking about they can say yeah i've seen this in your life now of humble service humility is an important and sometimes neglected aspect of leadership i mean the opposite of humility is pride and arrogance and let's face it nobody says wow i really admire that person because of their pride and their arrogance Paul's overarching description of how he conducted himself, verse 19, he says, serving the Lord with all humility. That's what he describes, serving the Lord, all humility. Despite all of the things that God did through Paul, have you ever noticed that when Paul is describing himself to others, he so regularly refers to himself as a servant or a slave? He doesn't say, look at me, I'm the guy who's planted all of these churches and have had all of these converts. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. There's not much room for pride when you speak of yourself as a slave or a servant. But despite all the things that God did through him, Paul says, I'm a servant. God brought people to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God planted churches in these areas. I am merely the servant or the vessel whom God used. You don't see Paul as being a guy building a name for himself. What's in it for me? You don't see him about big naming himself, particularly when the, the Corinthians are all arguing, I'm following this one. He didn't say, no, you should follow me because, man, I've got a way better record than Apollos and Peter. Now again, he addresses them, I'm a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. Pride is a real truth. It confronts anyone in a position of leadership. That people would look after them. They have that authority to teach. I've heard of many ministers who struggle with pride and it's a common thing that ministers should be praying for themselves, that they would be humble. Paul reminds the Corinthians, why do you boast as though you you didn't receive the things that you're talking about? I think the best example of how to deal with humility in terms of the praise of people in ministry comes from George Whitfield. 
George Whitfield would often preach great evangelistic sermons without a PA system to two or three thousand people at once. And how did he respond when someone came up to him and said, that was a great message, George? He says, I know. Satan already told me that when I sat down from the pulpit. He's like, I know there's that propensity that wants to think, yeah, I nailed that. But he's like, if something good came out of that, that was God. That wasn't me and I'm not going to get wrapped up in presuming that was all about me. And because Paul was humbly serving the Lord, he was by nature focused on other people. He talks about the trials that he endured, not only because he was a servant of the Lord and he was willing to risk all because he was serving the Lord, but we see Paul as a man who had a deep heart for people who were lost and he had the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the good news to pass on. So he would endure all things. Look at the way in which he speaks of his ministry in verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. My life, that's not really important. The only thing that's of any importance, he says, that I might be known by Christ. He says, I've got, I have Christ, I have my sins dealt with, my life's good. What I'm worried about is I want to make sure I finish the course for the ministry to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Wasn't in it for the money, verse 33, doesn't cover anyone's silver or gold. Unfortunately, we know of far too many Christian leaders who have been carried away by the pursuit of money and riches. Not only is that a, just a bad value to have as a Christian leader, but when that becomes your love and your goal, you start making decisions around what's going to make the dollar as opposed to what's going to be most pleasing to my Lord and Saviour who laid down his life for me. So as Christians... Elders or not, we are humble servants of Jesus who are teachable and who give thanks to God for all that he might choose to be willing to do through us. But if humility kind of defined the manner or the the way in which Paul went about his ministry, if you're going to talk about the content, you could basically summarise it as declaring all to all. Paul spent three years in Ephesus And it was probably the longest that he stayed in any particular place. But one thing we've seen through Acts, wherever Paul went, he would proclaim the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ to bring about the forgiveness of sins, salvation and eternal life. And the fact that this is one thing that defined everywhere he went not only tells us what's important to Paul, But as one who identifies himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a reflection of what's important to the one to whom he serves. Which is why we shouldn't be surprised the way in which Jesus begins his public ministry. In Luke's Gospel, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, 
to proclaim the years of the Lord's favour. Jesus says, my ministry is all about a proclaiming ministry. And I think sometimes we need to be wary in our pursuit of doing something which might be good that we don't neglect what is actually the most important, that proclaiming of what God has done in Christ. Paul specifically says he declared everything. Verse 20 says, I did not shrink back from teaching you anything which was profitable. And you want to know how much of God's word's profitable? Well, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Verse 27, he says, did not shrink back from declaring the whole will or the whole counsel of God. Every single thing which God has given is good. It saddens me when you see churches who skip over particular topics or particular books of the Bible and say, these are bits that we shouldn't do. It's not actually helping anyone to hold back any part of the Bible. All of the Bible is an expression of God's character, is an expression of his will, and what is best for mankind, to not share that with people is actually to withhold what God has lovingly given for our good. And not only is it withholding from people something which is for their good, but it's by implication declaring to people that this God that we're saying is all good and can be trusted with our whole life, that there's parts of him that we're saying that we don't like. Paul didn't shrink back from holding anything. He speaks of proclaiming the kingdom of God, verse 25. Testifying to the gospel of the grace of God in verse 24. And probably at the heart of all that he did in verse 21, testifying to both Jews and Greeks, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty much a summary of Paul's ministry. Repentance towards God, turning from a position where I see myself as the ultimate ruler and authority, living for myself. Repentance just means turning around from myself, my desires, my authority, to trust in him as my Lord, my King, coming to him in faith. It's what we do at salvation. We turn from self to God. It's what we do every day in our life to grow. We turn from the things of the flesh, taking on and trusting in God to lead us forward. So he proclaims everything, and what we see there in verse 21, to Jews and to Greeks, to everyone. Then if you look back at verse 20, he proclaims everything to everyone in public and house to house. So he's preaching everything to everyone everywhere. Now you can't say Paul was half-hearted in his ministry in Ephesus. You can't say that he lacked zeal. But why would he? Paul knows that the gospel that he knows is the same gospel that every single person born needs to hear. It is the only gospel by which people can be saved by their sin through the gracious provision of Jesus Christ, restored into a right relationship with God regardless of what they've done in the past, call a child of God, enjoying the blessing of the relationship with him and serving him now, and then eventually in eternity with him forever. Why would he hold back? You know, there are some who will look upon 
Ephesians and God saying how he's chosen a people before the foundation of the world and saying, well, if God's already chosen people, why do we need to talk to people? God's, God's got it sorted. He doesn't need me. I'll give you the two reasons why that's a really silly way to think about things. One is Jesus' last words to his disciples was, go and make disciples. He expected them to do something. And secondly, rather than it reducing our desire to speak to people about Jesus because God has called people before the foundation of the world, it should actually inspire us and give us confidence knowing that out there, without any effort of my own, there are people who God has chosen even before they were born who would respond to the gospel. Imagine if we had that boldness that Paul had, proclaiming the gospel all People, all places, because he knows there are people who God has chosen. That gospel needs to go out. What if we had that confidence and boldness? So I know God has people. I know this is the same gospel for my neighbours, for my workmates. Why would I want to die wondering if maybe if there was someone in my workplace, my neighbourhood, who actually would respond to the gospel? But he makes a really bold claim there in verse 26, which comes from Ezekiel, where he says, I am innocent of the blood of all. There's Paul who says, I've proclaimed all to all in all places, can comfortably say, I'm free from innocent from the blood of all because the means by which they can be saved has been declared to all of them. Paul was there for three years. I've lived in Toowoomba for three and a half years. And I haven't made the slightest little dent in terms of the all in all places. But wouldn't it be great if it could be said of Toowoomba that every single person living in the Toowoomba region had heard the gospel from somebody? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the cooperative churches of Toowoomba could say, we are innocent of the blood of all because all of our people are sharing the gospel in whatever environment God has placed them within, taking the gospel wherever we go. Now, Paul certainly set a high bar with his example and his humble service to the Lord, proclaiming all to all in all places. And now he turns to instruct the Ephesian elders in verses 28 to 32. Within this passage, he refers to them as elders. Verse 17 Overseers, some translations have bishops, verse 28. Speaks about shepherding them and pastoring them. So in the same, same group of people, he's calling them elders, overseers, pastors. And you can see now why churches have a little confusion, why they all use those terms differently. And I know lots of people get confused when they hear that I'm an elder and a pastor and maybe now looking at this passage might help clarify how that all actually fits together. But this term as an overseer means to keep watch over, to keep an eye on. And Paul is charging them to keep an eye on two groups of people. And the order may actually catch you a little bit by surprise. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock with the whole, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now we naturally think about elders and leaders caring for the rest of the congregation. But Paul says, 
pay careful attention to take care of yourself first. Never be so busy ministering to others that you are not seeking to build yourself up spiritually. You need to have be spiritually healthy in order to be good help to somebody else. Don't neglect your health thinking, I'm so busy, there's so many other things that need me. They don't need you. Pay attention to your own spiritual life in order that you might minister effectively to others. And Paul lays out two compelling reasons why elders should never be lazy in their care for people. After he's told them to take attention to themselves and for the flock, he describes why. Because in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So we see the whole trinity here. The Holy Spirit cares for these people, so he's appointed you to provide oversight and care for them. The people are the church of God. They are God's people obtained by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the call for the elders to take care of these people, the stakes are high. These are God's people. The Holy Spirit's appointed people to care for them because he wants them cared for and they are so precious to him that they they were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And the second reason why he wants him to care for the flock entrusted to them is that People will come into the church, people existing in the church and people from outside of the church who will come in with strange teaching who will lead people astray. Have you noticed as Paul in Titus writes out instructions for elders saying they must be able to teach sound doctrine and to correct those who teach otherwise. If you think it was a big issue then, and it was for the early church, That was before the internet. That's before there was access to a plethora of teaching from all over the place. I think the saddest thing I find about social media is seeing friends, Christian friends of mine, share things that are unbiblical. That they've been inspired by something that's been well-spoken, well articulated but has moved away from biblical truth and then they share it and put that before all of their friends I know I've said it before and I'll keep on saying it if something even sounds slightly strange whether it be wherever you hear it including coming out of my mouth check your Bibles The Bible alone is the authority for what God has taught. It's the final authority in all things. If something I say or something you hear, read or something else is at odds with the Scriptures, the Scriptures is where you go to. And one of the problems with the internet is you might listen to some great sermons from someone who lives on the other side of the world whose life you never see a thing of You have no idea, and we've seen the the importance of the correlation between life and doctrine. Maybe add add that to your list of why it's important to belong to a local church. Not because the preaching's better at the local church, uh, but you actually see and are in relationship with people. But Paul knows that the elders are not under-resourced for the situation. He commends them, God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance amongst those who are sanctified. 
Cling to God, cling to his word, simple but necessary to hear. So he's leading by example, by instruction and lastly by prayer. Now Paul began by acknowledging that he was humbly serving the Lord, acknowledging that everything that's happened through Paul is what God has done. Now that Paul has gone and says, now I want you guys to care for yourself and for all of the flock, he's not going to be so deceived to think, okay, I've given them the instructions, they're just going to do it, therefore it's going to work. This shepherding of people, this feeding, this nurturing, this protecting, is only going to be effective if God is in it and God is working through it. Therefore Paul kneels and he prays for the Ephesian elders to the God who is able to do abundantly more than all we could ever ask or imagine. So what? These aren't purely just instructions to elders, even though that's the primary audience. We said that what God calls these elders to is a reflection of the standards that actually we want of all people. And if you are a Christian, whether you like it or not, you are a leader. And every person whom you know, who knows you're a Christian, knows something about Jesus, whether it's right or wrong, based on what they hear you say and what they see as they watch you living. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Not just ministers, not just apostles, not just evangelists. Every single one of us are ambassadors, representatives of Jesus. So everything we say, everything we do will either help someone more clearly and rightly recognise something about who Jesus is or we might actually cause someone to have a skewed vision of who God is. So I think Paul leaves with four key lessons from today. One is we serve the Lord with all humility. And when we call him Lord, it means he's the master. We're not the one who calls the shots. He calls the shots we serve, we serve faithfully and if anything good comes of that, he gets the credit because he did it because I can guarantee you, you and I didn't. Secondly, we proclaim the whole gospel to everyone, everywhere. There's no benefit in withholding anything from anybody. We know that God has called the people before the foundation of the world which should give us confidence going out, knowing that there are people out there that are gods. Thirdly, we need to care for our own spiritual well-being. Don't neglect your own spiritual well-being in order that you might care for others around you. And fourthly and lastly, and certainly not least of significance, we need to prayerfully depend upon God to work through us. This is not about one being better at something or another. This is about all of God's children belonging to the same God who have received the same Holy Spirit and saying, God, how do you want to work through me? I need you. When I see things in your word, help me take hold of those things that I might walk in them trusting in you. And may that be truly said of us that people can look at our lives as Paul says and see that we have a God who is worth following. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, 
We acknowledge that so often the things which come out of our lips are not a, ref- a good reflection of who you are. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to repent and to turn to you. Lord, we acknowledge there are times when the ways in which we live communicate a very different message than the, than the words that we profess. Lord, we want to live, we want to speak in a way that declares the full counsel of who you have revealed yourself to be, what you have done for us in Christ and what you have called your people to do in response. Lord, I pray that we would have a confidence to take your message all places to all people at all times. Not because we are particularly skilled or persuasive, but because your gospel is powerful and you have chosen a people for yourself even before the moment they were born. And we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.